This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. It is Jeff, it is Eric, we have Kyle Nash joining us here for the first segment talking about college football, the student game in the house. Later on, we got Stat Boy Drew, Andrew Glukov coming in to give us our midseason grades today. We've got lots to talk about on this show. We are full throttle here. We are midway through the college football season already, gentlemen. It's it's like it, how? It's October, by the way. Good so weather. We got good weather. A little chilly yeah, weather out a little, there. A little bite, a uh, little crisp in the air. You know, yeah. Finally. By the way, I want to give a warning to our audience. There might be times during this episode you might hear some background noise to me. They're working and they're constructing my kitchen. It's like a war zone out there right now in my kitchen. So I'll be coming and going during the show. So just but you've been warned. If we hear any, if we hear people like screaming in the background, yeah, like, that's mean, pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter, UCF Banner at underscore SBN. We're on Facebook instagram and youtube as well follow us on all those channels as usual and don't forget to subscribe to us here uh if you don't already so let's go ahead and start up uh our show with uh well if you're going to handle a team that's probably going to finish last in the conference or pretty doggone close to it in the temple owls you want to do it exactly as how ucf did in the space game uh, against uh, against Temple last Thursday, seventy to thirteen, uh, the second most points in school history, second most points scored by in a conference game, uh, in an American Athletic Conference game in the history of the league, and that puts UCF at five and one as they begin what we're calling Kyle Nash the gauntlet, because these. Five of their or their next five games right now, UCF is uh, tied in the loss column with Tulane and Cincinnati, both of whom are, by the way, are ranked in the AP top twenty-five. Um, UCF is tied with both of those schools in the loss column atop the American Athletic Conference standings. They are both all three of them are undefeated. Tulane is three and zero in the league. Cincinnati and UCF are two and zero. And of the next. Five games, all five of them are against the other five teams in the top half of the conference, in the top <laughs> six. So here we go. This is this is this is what we've been, as Bill Parcells said, this is why you lift all them weights. This mm-hmm. is why you do all that stuff. Uh he didn't quite say it exactly like that, but this is where we are. Halfway through the season, we start with the East Carolina Pirates in Greenville. Uh, ECU comes in four and three overall, two and two in the conference, but they got fifth year quarterback Holton Aylers, um, who <laughs> interestingly enough, his first start was also against UCF back in 2018, which was Daryl Mack's first start. Uh, I'm pretty sure in, Holton Aylers started for East Carolina when Kyle, you and me were at UCF in school as students, probably wouldn't too. rule it out. Wouldn't I, rule I it out that he may be redshirted back then, but, uh, listen, Laugh all you want. I know Eric's not the biggest Holton Aylers fan, but this is a fifth-year quarterback, and this is a team that came off a uh, four-overtime victory at home against Memphis. I watched that game pretty intently. They came back. They showed a lot of character in that ballgame. What are we looking at here right now against ECU? Because 
um, the, 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 the boneyard is never an easy place to be. No, not at all, man. And listen, first of all, I can't help but notice how confident you suddenly are with your Giants analogies. Can't imagine why that is this season, but I digress. Listen, man, um, when it comes to Holden Aylers, I, I, I appreciate uh, Ghost, uh, Gus Malzahn's approach to this. And, and Coach said during the pre- uh, press conference on Monday that Holden Aylers is a unique experience and a unique challenge for this defense, right? Over and above the experience, I don't think there's another quarterback other than what maybe was expected of Tanner Mordecai that didn't really actually uh, transpire. But with Holden Aylers, he's a gunslinger like no other they'll see for the rest of the year. Over and above the experience, this is a guy that that, that can sling the ball. He doesn't always make the best decisions uh, to Eric's point, but he can hurt you. And he's going to take risks maybe that other guys won't, but if they pan, you're in trouble, you know? Uh, Aylers, I'm sorry, uh, Kyle, I wanted to get this in. Last week against Memphis, uh, 26 to 34, 304 yards, one touchdown pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in addition, I want to get his rushing. Yeah, seven carries, 10 yards, also ran for a touchdown. They got 149 yards from Keaton Mitchell uh, mm-hmm. on the ground. Uh, and then, of course, there's Isaiah Winstead, who, um, Eric, I know that you, you've you talked about Winstead before, how much you like him. Uh, nine catches, 154 yards, and a touchdown. He was the primary target for Aylers in that game. Yeah, they've got talent around him. I think that's why I've been critical of him, because they, they really could do better if they get better play out of him. Uh, really, the, in the, over the last couple of years, I think Mike Houston's doing a great job at East Carolina, building him back up. Uh, it's just, you know, can they get over the hump? And look, this is a tricky game. To your point, it's a night game there at the Boneyard. They're calling it the Boneyard game. Uh, you know, and I know this might up. Some people may not agree with this, but when a night game in Greenville, when it's packed, it's as good of an atmosphere as there is in this conference in the American. That includes the Bounce House. Now they're not as consistent as UCF from an, an atmosphere standpoint, but that's a tough place to play. UCF knows that from past history, and I think the fact this is a night game. Is, is is a dangerous situation. I think that's one of the reasons why the spreads is, is lower than maybe what some people would have expected. You have a situation, are you overlooking this game with a monster game on schedule against Cincinnati ahead that has major on-the-field ramifications and potentially off-the-field ramifications, depending on what happens this weekend. So this is a, you know, and hey, by the way, they're getting on a flight for the first time this year. Yeah. How about that? So that well, the, the, does this team will this team's perform defensive excellent performance and that you know solid performance against Temple will that carry will that fly will that travel as they like to say on the road we're going to find out this weekend. Well, the number right now UCF minus five over under sixty four that's up from four and a half hasn't really moved much and and I wanted to say also state for the record not to wax poetic about Ailers here he is having the best year of his career. So well, I hope right so. Now. It's his 800th year. I mean, I figured <laughs> well, out. Well, his like... h- highest completion percentage, 68.5, up from 61.8 last year. Highest uh, yards per pass, 8.2. Uh, he's thrown 17 touchdowns so far this year. His career high is 21 back in 2019, and uh, compared to five interceptions. Uh, so, and his, and his rating is higher than it's ever been, at least through, at least through right now, oh, but, but it helps when you have face- guys like Keaton Mitchell and CJ Johnson. Let's not forget. Let's, we want to make right. sure we make sure he's another talent talent kid for sure. Yeah. But as we look at ECU also, Kyle, um, where they really struggle is 
their defense as their 79th in the country in total defense, giving up 388 a game. And really the bulk of that has been against the pass. 117th in pass yards allowed, 122nd in team passing efficiency defense. Um, that's kind of where the weak point for them right now. And I think the question is, can John Rice Plumley and UCF take advantage of that? Um, considering that, you know, ECU is fairly stout against the run uh, this year, 23rd in the country, 109 a game. But, um, you know, like I said, it, it feels like they can be had through the air here, no? Um, it, no, and the numbers certainly indicate that. I see where you're coming from. But listen, when I look at their schedule, be that as it may, that to Eric's point, uh, gunslinging is the reason why they didn't beat NC State in week one, where they nearly did in a one-point game, you know, hashtag ACC weakness. But uh, I believe part of that, too, is a bit mired in the numbers where they're passing early and then finishing games off with the run as they're up big, right? So if you're up big, teams aren't going to try to run a ball against you. So that stat might be a little misleading. And, you know, opponents like Old Dominion and Campbell, you're not going to get it. You're not going to face the run a lot. I'll put it that way. Um, and, and South Florida, let's not forget the game I that was, was in Boca too. I was going to bring that up as well. Right. So half, half the games ish, you know, you're not seeing a lot of runs. So I, I would argue that, that the numbers may not be outright lying, but they may be telling a different story than what you see in actuality. And, and I'll put it this way. The reason why SMU looked scary on paper is it showed balance. The reason why ECU's offense on paper is scary is because it shows balance but Rasheed Rice is not on this roster as a receiver for example right and and I think let's put it this way the defense will need to be more balanced than it's ever been right facing SMU they had to be prepared for Mordecai and Rice defense you mean what I say well you just said the defense I just yeah UCF's defense has to be prepared uh they were prepared uh, against SMU being basically angling more toward the pass could be why they got a big, it gave up a big touchdown against Gardner in that game, right? ECU is going to be a lot more balanced. You got to be able to do a little bit of everything that runs got to get shut down early. I'm looking for Anthony Montalvo, Tremont Morris Brash, um, Jeremiah Jean-Baptiste, uh, John Baptiste, Gene Baptiste, Gene Baptiste to handle business there and make sure that that run is closed off. They have to be able to pressure Ailers with four guys, blitz as little as possible, um, and then also be able to contain the run up front so that the DBs can do their job to let Ailers uh, throw into mistakes like Eric wants to see happen on Saturday. Well, one thing that I think T-Will on defense has been very good at is finding the weak points where they, where they are able to rush four mm-hmm. and drop seven. We saw that in the SMU game, particularly in the second half. Tanner Mordecai in the second half was uh, was under constant assault. Um, never could not find a spot to throw. Uh, EJ Warner, God bless him, true freshman out there mm-hmm. um, for all his uh, you know for, for all his ability, and you could see the raw ability out there. But again, they just made it. They they made his life extremely uncomfortable back there. Uh, the only good throws he really made were ones where he was uh, on the run. And even then, you know, he had some problems getting the ball <clears throat> on target. So 
But this is a much, much more experienced quarterback here. Well, I'd say about as, as experienced as Mordecai. Um, and a guy who's a lot more comfortable running on the uh, running around and throwing too. In the case of Ehlers, yeah, Ehlers um, is deceptive in how he can move. He he doesn't look like a mobile guy. He seems a little bigger. He seems his fo- his form is almost I don't want to say oafish. That's kind of derogatory on me like that. But he he seems like he's going to bash you rather than run. And and here he goes. Like I don't want. Well, I, he's he's Ben Roethlisberger ish is what I'd well, say. You, you know you know why that is right. Why is that? So, this is true. He throws a football left-handed. He does everything else right-handed. Oh, that's interesting. That's true. Yeah, like I, I got this confirmed by by ECU's staff last year when they went when they came up here. I was like, because I I had heard about that. I was like, is this true? They're like, yeah, yeah. He throws left-handed, but he does basically everything else right. I think he does like a few token things also left-handed, but like. But he throws left-handed, but he writes right-handed. Like, you know, I wonder if he was trained specifically to attack the weak side like that. That's very unique. Um, so yeah, but that that yeah. side, the, the UCF. But if fight. he looks unusual doing it, that's why. Um, I didn't mean necessarily his throwing motion, but no, that's an just. I mean his just build. Does look a little unusual in that, you know? Oh, it, it, yeah, it's 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 fascinating. Yeah, I'm not his throwing motion does look odd now that i'm thinking about it but it doesn't look bad it just looks different you know um so no that's a good that's okay yeah it's just an interesting point but i i want to i want to see okay you're gus how are you going after ecu on offense are you are you are you trying to are you unleashing jrp in the air try and get him out there on on the outside where he i think where it looks to me i think he's most comfortable throwing the ball is on the run or are we just going to go, you know, are we going back to the to, to the well with, you know, Isaiah Bowser just grinding that defense and maybe getting a couple of couple of breakout plays like we saw last week with RJ Harvey uh and Ryan O'Keefe? Well, listen, talking to Ryan Sabota, the defensive tackle at the presser this week, they he while the line has been playing well, they're looking to improve. Okay. So I think it definitely starts there. What I think Gus might lean on is JRP's intelligence. Put him in a position to make a decision based on what they see, or he sees, I should say, right? Some sort of an RPO kind of situation there. With a run-pass option, if they're going to stack the box, now John Rice can throw it to an athlete. And you can tell, now that they're catching the football, what they can do getting it in space. They can't afford to necessarily stack the box like that up front. So the best way to beat UCF, by the way, and I think I've said this before, is if a team is playing uh, their DBs like a breakfast secondary, right? Attacking early, jamming on the line, not allowing space. Maybe they'll get down the field, but dare John Rice to complete that throw and give your guys a chance to get home up front. Now, it's going to be John Rice Plumley's elusiveness. That's the difference there. Keep a play alive, but also... To Ryan Swoboda's point, that line hasn't played their best football yet. If they can protect longer, then what do you do if you're on defense? He escapes, extends a play. No one can cover Ryan O'Keefe and Kobe Hudson forever. And if you do, here comes Alec Haller, you know, or Bowser in the flat or Richardson in the flat or RJ Harvey in the flat. There's so many options, right? I say all that to say that's why I go to leaving it to John, John Rice Plumlee's brain he's starting to be comfortable a lot of things that people have forgotten about or written off when Gus has said it repeatedly is that he was relearning the position now that we're half a season in 
He may not be completely back to form as a quarterback, but he's certainly further ahead than he was in game one. So it, it might be time to let John Rice make some decisions. He's going to miss some throws because he's not a perfect, perfect passer. But guess what? That's the breed of quarterback you're going to get, not just in the pros, but in college nowadays. That is what it is. I'll tell you one guy who I'm kind of, I kind of have my eye on is like, you know, he could be a real weapon in this game, especially against, you know, against ECU's defense. We, we've only seen him. He hasn't really been done overly much statistically on offense, but I feel like he's waiting for a real breakout is Kamari Gamble. Yeah, uh, part of it is is he's been battling injury. Um, I'm not sure what his health status is precisely, but yeah, it, it, um, any sort of, uh, how you say, other option that's going to see a lot of one-on-one, which mm-hmm. Campbell could be in this game, um, yeah. is certainly a thing. Yeah, and I, and I think also that and, and, like, and the fact that Kobe Hudson's really kind of broken out here a little bit mm-hmm. takes that pressure off of, uh, off of uh, Javon Baker. It takes the pressure off of Ryan O'Keefe. And this is, this is, I I think that's the key to not just this game, but this upcoming stretch is let's see what all these weapons can do because they can't defend everybody. Right. You know, so who, who, who's going to be the guy who's going to, you know, and it might be a different guy each week getting the ball. The defense, the defense, hey, take what the defense gives you is the platitude, right? right? So that's all that Gus has typically done in his games is try to take what the defense has given you. Sometimes Plumlee hasn't been able to deliver the throw or the receivers haven't been able to secure the ball to do that. Mm. And the reason why I say the passing game specifically is I haven't seen anybody outright um, stop the run while running a balanced defense. That's what I'll say. All right, so we've got this game coming up here against ECU. Um, and th- I tell you, man, you know, as I look at the schedule, and we'll talk uh, about it more with Drew coming up, but I want to get your take, Kyle, right now because, you know, this there's potential here for this league to kind of, you know, maybe even cannibalize itself a little bit if things go, go awry because – uh, you know, you have three teams sort of undefeated right now, or three teams that are undefeated atop the conference. And then you have ECU, Memphis, Navy, two losses each. Uh, Houston, SMU with one loss each. Um, you know, that's five teams at 500 in the conference nipping on the heels of the top three. So how are you seeing this shake out right now in terms of the schedule that UCF has and 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 the roadblocks that not just they have, but some of the other teams may have coming up. Listen, for my money, the scary games remaining really are Cincy and Tulane. I'm going to go ahead and put them on the list. I know Bryson Turner before the season had this as a, as a loss for UCF thinking it would be kind of like the Navy game last year. However, Navy last year was never nationally ranked. Willie Fritz is a coach I've enjoyed and I didn't expect him to do this. He's done a great job there. He's done a fantastic job. And I mean, listen, so we had a struggle in the COVID year. <laughs> Who didn't, right? Even Jim Harbaugh in Michigan did, for goodness sake. But the punchline is this. I, 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 that two-lane game is starting to scare me a little bit. It's on the road. Um, to, to kind of enunciate what Tulane has done to get better is, is tough for me. Granted, I haven't watched as much of the, the film yet as I would have liked to at this point. I'll get to it. Um, but for my money, it, it's that, that the game, that's the game for me that's tricky. I mean, 
you know, heck, last time they were in New Orleans, that game was tricky. That game was scarier than it should have been for some last time it was in New Orleans there. I think uh, Nate Evans was on the squad there at that point with his homecoming, if you guys remember that. Mm. So um, that's really the game I'm unsure of at this point. I would actually say, based on the makeup of the teams and and and, and their strengths and weaknesses, I can make an argument for Tulane being a tougher game potentially than Cincy because it is on the road. Yeah. That all being said, Cincy is going to be a test, the biggest test for the offensive line this year. Um, and and that's what I'm looking for there. And we got some interesting games in the conference. It's kind of a, it's, it's kind of a, I don't know. I was about to say water seats its own level, but I mean, we might see some things shake out this week a little bit more too. Elo, I don't want to get your point on this because Cincinnati is going to SMU. You know, can SMU kind of right the ship here, right? I think that's the key in that game. Houston, speaking of writing ships, uh, is heading to Annapolis to face Navy. Navy right now, two and two um, in the conference. Don't let their two and four overall record fool you. Uh, even though they, they uh, played a one-score game at SMU last week, um, and they beat ECU uh, in double OT in Greenville uh, earlier this year as well. Memphis is at Tulane. That game looks really interesting to me. Does. I mean, what does Memphis do coming off of the loss at Greenville? I thought Hennigan played really, really well last week in the loss. Um, he's going to be a star in this conference. Uh, and then, of course, if you're Tulane, you know, Tulane, like you said, Kyle, Tulane's right now. How do you handle having that number next to your name for the first time in a long time uh, if you're Willie Fritz in the Green Wave? And then, of course, UCF and ECU. Eric, is, is, is Eric, is that game the one you're watching outside of UCF? No, it's a Cincinnati SMU, although Tulane-Memphis okay. is a tricky game because you're right. I mean, how does Tulane handle expectations now, ranked? Hoopla. And how does Memphis bounce back? How do they bounce back on the road? You're right. Do Tulane fans actually get a crowd out there? Or is all the or is the crowd going to be in Baton Rouge for the old Miss LSU game? Which is an issue with Tulane. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm being serious. Having been up there, uh, I think anybody in Tulane would be honest knowing that, you know, they have a hard time. They're trying to get fans, you know, to come and support them because a lot at stake. It's not like it's not like they're back in the day when they would play in the Superdome, though. Like, I mean, they're, you know. No, but I mean, it's not. A, I mean, I think, you know, UCF fans kind of don't appreciate like the great fan support UCF has in football compared to other schools in other states dealing with, you know, bigger quote unquote schools there. And that Louisiana is an LSU state. From that standpoint, but look, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cincinnati SMU is the big one. SMU and their offense, to me, they're la this is their strike. I think this Cincinnati defense, while it's good, it's not as good as last year, obviously, because they're they're all playing the NFL. Um, so I think Cincinnati can, you know, shown that they can give up some plays here defensively. So can SMU move the ball? There's big ramifications in this game as far as impacting the UCF game because as you check out blackandgoldbanneret.com, bing. There you go. See, I just did that, Kyle. I'll beat you to the punch. <laughs> College game day could be in play. Yeah. Cincinnati UCF. If both Cincinnati and UCF win, if Clemson beats Syracuse, that is important because Syracuse, if they were to upset Clemson, probably gets game day. But UCF Cincinnati is in the mix from what we're hearing for college game day. Not necessarily like the favorite, but they could be in the mix and for that to happen, Cincinnati and UCF both have to win. And SMU, that's a tricky game for Cincinnati. On the road, 
right? Lashley and company, they need that win badly if you're SMU to stay in the race. So that's the game I'm going to be watching, not only because of the uh, the conference race, but because of the potential of the impact of college game day. Well, okay. Are we getting ahead of ourselves on this one? I'll, you know, I'll I, get I get nervous. You know me. I get, you know, we could kind of see this one coming from weeks in advance to, in 2018. Right, Kyle? Sort of. It's like we need some dominoes to fall late here for this to work. Well, right. But and then that's the point I was going to make. I'll give Eric this much credit. Um, you know, even in 2018, and granted, maybe it's my skepticism. I tend to do that just like you do at times, Jeff. It's a thing we do. It's a defense mechanism, all that. But um, there was a time in the 28th season we heard whispers, but like they'll never actually put it on our doorstep. What are you talking about? That's not going to happen. Oh my God, there's the bus. You know, so, <laughs> you know, it, 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 I think it's the same thing here. Like they'll never do it again, especially now. I mean, John Rice hasn't been playing. Oh my God, maybe, you know. So there's, you know, uh, granted to both your guys' point, help will need, help will be necessary. 100%. So, so then to go back to you, Eric, mm-hmm. for UCF to be to potentially host game day with Cincinnati, all right, who do UCF fans need to root for? Clemson. Sorry, Jeff. Clemson? Big time. <laughs> they got to root for Clemson. I don't know if I can do to... that. Well, what's ironic is in 2018, the big – contender for the uh, that was opponent for the UCF Cincinnati hosting game day that year was Notre Dame Syracuse because that was a top 15 matchup the difference was that game was played in Yankee Stadium why was that Jeff do you why, why was that played in Yankee uh, I Syracuse was for for some <laughs> strange reason has decided that they want to market themselves towards the entire state of New York in right, particular the tri-state area so for, for those who decided Boys, for those who are only listening on the podcast, Jeff changed his hat. It was going to act like we didn't notice from his put a Syracuse hat on to a Syracuse orange and expected no reaction. You know, I just haven't you learned yet here? You know, I mean, of course, I would love college game day to come here, but you know, it hasn't been to Syracuse. I remember I went went to grad school there, so Syracuse has never hosted for football, never hosted for football, that's basketball, but you know, the if. If Syracuse were to shows, upset, shows you how bad they've been at football for a long time. <laughs> Syracuse is obviously uh, at Clemson at noon. Ironically, the same time as Cincinnati SMU. If they were to upset Clemson, I think they'll give strong consideration to having game day in Syracuse. Who's hosting Notre Dame in the Cario Dome? I've heard rumors that Jim Beheim would be one of the front runners for the game day guest celebrity picker. Oh, that's oh. a layup. Come on. They can do better than that. <laughs> Was that pun intended there? Layup? Is that why? It, it, it is a layup. Yeah. Get, get Donovan McNabb in there. Get Donovan McNabb. Donovan's got to stay off. Got to stay off the field. Uh, anyway, now, now, but okay. no, look, so the point is, what's you got to root for Clemson. What are the other games in the slate so, that we need to keep an eye on? The other games you got to worry about is, you know, Ohio State is at Penn State, as I wrote about. That's a big game. But the Fox has that. Does ESPN really want to go to Happy Valley? For a game that's on Fox, uh, Michigan, Michigan State prime time. I think this would have been the pick before the year, but Michigan State's had a subpar year. That's where I think Fowler and Herb Street are going to go. I don't Fowler and Herb Street will not do Cincinnati UCF even if game day's here. I don't believe so. I, th- I feel like Dave, that might be uh, a Dave Pash game. If that feels like a Dave Pash game, yeah. Uh, Dave Pash went to Syracuse. Syracuse. I mean, all those Syracuse guys will be fighting for that Syracuse Notre Dame <laughs> assignment. Uh, and then there's the one big, eye on the Notre Dame. Yeah. There's a big Oklahoma State Kansas State game that you know had Oklahoma State beaten TCU 
this week. I think that would have been maybe a, a front runner. And who knows if Kansas State and Oklahoma State both have tough games this week. Oak State's playing Texas. Kansas State's playing TCU. If mm-hmm. both of them win those games, maybe that gets them in. This is a little different in that they they have options. They could go in a lot of different scenarios. This will be a last-minute decision. This is 2018. They were looking at UCF Cincinnati for a while in yeah. comparison. Remember, Jeff, we broke that story. People were scoffing at me and like, what are you doing? Because even you know UCF, the regime back then, they thought it. They were pushing for UCF Navy on uh, during the, the holidays. I remember like, that. Hey, you know, hey, you know. But I said, there's no way Navy's having a bad year. Your best chance is the Cincinnati game, which turned out to be true because that was for the division title at the time and everything. Uh, and. If the reason why there's talk the undefeated about streak at the time also the streak. That. I mean, it was a hot topic, and yeah, I think a lot of UCF people were skeptical. They thought ESPN hated them. Well, guess what? They went there and had it. And as Reese Davis recently said, it was one of the best game days they've had. It says Reese Davis has it as one of his top five favorite game days that he's done because of the atmosphere that was provided there. So I do think Cincinnati UCF, which could be if both Cincinnati and UCF take care of business this weekend. Could be the game of the year in the American. Could be the first of two matchups between these two teams. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it could be really the beginning of a rivalry, if not already, of those two teams as they go into the Big 12, which is another Which there's speculation there could be a Big 12 TV deal on the horizon with ESPN involved. So there's that aspect of it. So those are the things to watch this weekend. Would it be fun to announce at game day, by the way? Well, interesting point you make there, Kyle. And I want to make this quick diversion before we take a break. The so Brett Yormark has uh, the commissioner of the Big Twelve, and Eric. I think he's going to be in town. Wednesday. Maybe not for that game, but that week, right? Well, all we know right now is Wednesday. Well, yes. but you don't. You've got to think. Let's say game day does come to UCF. Does he consider sticking around? Even though he was on game day when they had TCU Kansas earlier this year in Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Does he stay for the Cincinnati UCF game? Does he make another appearance on game day? Who knows? That thing's fluid on all that. But there, you know, that's this is going to be a big week either way because you're going to have uh, Yorma, who was supposed to be at UCF earlier, but had got rescheduled this week. And I know Kyle, you're ready to you know give him hot questions on you know the Big Twelve TV contract and uh, among other things. Listen, I've taken I've taken every precaution to be as available as I can that day for the black and banner <laughs> black and gold banneret because not only is it that that'll be UCF Hoops Media Day as well. It's going to be a big week, gentlemen. It and there'll be a lot coming out on blackandgoldbanneret.com. You better know about that. Now. But here's here's the thing that I wanted to get with you on too, Eric. Was uh, of course you are a big fan of the Marchand and RN podcast. Yeah. Uh, uh, Andrew Marchand, sports media reporter for the New York Post. Uh, John RN uh, for SBJ, who um, obviously we're big fans of. Andrew Marchand said on their most recent podcast that he thinks a media deal for the Big Twelve could happen. I think he said fairly soon. Um, he expects it to be a combination of ESPN and Fox and that the number that they're moving or that, that that's floating around is $400 million a year split 12 ways. That's $33.3 million per school annually. When you add in uh, other revenue sources, bowl, CFP, all that kind of stuff, this could end up actually being a net, increase for the big 12 we'll have to see how those other uh, conf- uh contracts shake out 
Um, they are in this early ne negotiating period that Brett Yormark kind of kind of dove into right away, which I thought was a pretty, which I think a lot of the sports media people said was a pretty interesting move by him. Um, Jeff, I would give you one production note. If you're going to say $400 million, don't you kind of have to use a Dr. Evil voice for that? $400 million. That was Andrew Marchand's words, by the way. It was Andrew Marchand. Yeah, that was Andrew. Now, Aryan seemed to kind of say, hey, like, if that's the number, what do they do with maybe taking it to the market, seeing if they can get some more? Right. Are out they of better that? off waiting? Right. Are they better? better off are waiting? you better off? Are you better off waiting, or are you better off thinking? You know, we're probably not going to get a better deal than that. So let's let's so let's sign on the dotted line right now. Where does it stand right now, Eric? Where do you think it's going to go? What are you hearing? Well, Dennis Dodd, who obviously is well connected to the Big Twelve, he's written a lot about the Big Twelve. Wrote on late Wednesday night on CBSSports.com, kind of similar. There, he's hearing that there could be a deal done soon. Uh, you know, and I think there's a couple of things in play. I don't think this is an accident. This is starting to come out because I think the Big Twelve number one, ESPN and Fox, I think want to get this deal done sooner than later. Because if you go to the open market, you now you're bidding against other people, maybe an Amazon, Apple yeah. streaming. Things like that. They so also want why, to get the jump on the Pac-12, too. Well, and that's if you're the Big 12, that's the other reason, too. If you make this deal, right? Let's say they get a deal that's north of $33 million. Let's go north of 33 base, not including bowl games money. Uh, you know, the NCAA tournament in basketball, which is a big deal in the Big 12. We kind of forget this. We kind of try to dismiss basketball and all this. But not in these big leagues where the Big 12 can get six, seven bids into an NCAA tournament. That's a lot of money as well. So if they were to get that big of a money and you're the Pac-12, let's say you're Arizona and you're looking at this and you're like, wait, so we're going to Amazon potentially while the Big 12 is making that much? That's going to, you know, it's about time slots. And that might attract some of the West Coast schools to join the Big 12 if they see what the deal that the Big 12 gets. So I think there's part of that. I also think there's part of this is negotiations of, hey, we're going to negotiate this Oklahoma and Texas. So, uh, you know, you're going to be with us and barring some other stuff. So I think there's a lot of things in play. But yeah, I think you want to get a good, strong deal. And I thought Brett Yormark was quoted in the CBSSports.com article, made a great point. Live sports television right now is hot property in television because mm -hmm. scripted shows, television, you know, are dead. The well, only Eric, thing that's You've been saying that on this podcast for how many months now? Yeah. I mean, live sports television viewer right now, sports television is drawing TV numbers. Like, it, whether it's baseball, basketball, football, for sure. The NFL is just the, the dominant king there. But live television right now, sports television is dominating television. So you want to have much of that. And ESPN and Fox are interested in that because you can't carry every single SEC Big Ten game respectively in your channels, all right? So you got to have some variety. Somebody's got to play at 3.30 after a big noon kick. Somebody's got to play at noon. So, so what you're saying is game, my so. hopes for a reboot of Playmakers on ESPN is is pretty much over, right? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Unless Brian Murphy, you know, just gets into movie uh, working in documentaries. <laughs> or something. Hey, maybe Amazon will pick that up, dude. I'd love to watch that on Prime. They're busy building up Sylvester Stallone movies yeah. all of a sudden out of nowhere there. But uh, that I see on NFL promos. Uh, but no, look, I think this is important time for the Big 12. I think the reports are they think a deal could be done between now and December. Uh, it sounds like either way, my big takeaway, it sounds like the talks are good. Like they're going well. Remember how when the Pac-12 talks, everybody's like, they're way apart. I think the Big 12 is going well. And it tells you that the Fox and ESPN prioritizes, I think, the Big 12 over the Pac-12. Mm, yeah. I, I, You know, I... <sighs> 
if you're Brett Yormark, I think that is going to be the key right now is get this thing in the bag because that can open up a lot more doors than if you, then if you go into the open market, believe it or not, ironically enough, if, the, if that happens, because, you know, I, I, and I think one of the other things too, you know, we've talked in, in, in the past many times about the big 12s tier three rights. Yeah. We can talk about tier one, tier two, your bat, your, your network, your, your, uh, your cable set, your basketball, you know, what do you want to do with that? But if they're going to go, put their tier three stuff on ESPN plus, or at least keep it on ESPN plus. That's such a big, uh, boost for all the other sports, especially it has been for UCF in the American. It'll be even that much greater in the big 12. I think that's a tremendous advantage. And I still believe, okay. For all the talk of streaming, there's been so much talk about streaming and the future of streaming and sports in streaming college presidents. And I think in particular who are making these decisions, still value very highly and rightfully so linear television yeah and i think at the end of the day the the allure of being on espn being on abc being on fox is still gonna over you know be bigger than being on amazon even though the nfl to their credit the nfl has been a massive success with amazon but that's because that's the nfl i would argue that major league baseball has been a failure with apple and the negative press that's gotten with its coverage and you know the fact that nobody get watches it but i think that's where i think the big 12 is going to land i mean you look at the big 10 the, the amazon was in the mix for the big 10 and big 10 said nope we're good we're gonna go to peacock yeah. because they're related to nbc and that goes back to your point well, Jeff, is, about that the, is that is that notre dame kind of could be is, Notre that Dame sweet, is that sweet the pie for Notre Dame, really? Could be a Notre Dame influence. But to your point about ESPN Plus, if you re-up re with ESPN and ABC, you still be on linear television, but your other sports, you're still going to be on ESPN Plus, which is a growing stream. So yeah. so it's a, you get of all, you get win all of that. They have the brand. Hmm? They have the brand. I, I think, you know, you think of ESPN, you think of sports, you know, okay, they're going to put stuff on the way. I, and I, keep I saying, still feel like I, Amazon, they have not built a sports brand yet. Well, I think that's where the NFL is going to try to, you know, it's helping them. It's the first yeah. step. We'll they're see trying they to do that for sure. Right. Cornerstone is the NFL for Amazon. But, but let me ask you this too, and something I don't think that's made enough of attention of. When you look at growth opportunities among the conferences, the Pac-12 ain't it. It's right, right. Big the 12. ACC is all but dead, if you want to believe my good friend Eric Lopez. The Big 12, I think as growth goes, is certainly the one with the most growth potential. I'm not well, saying the product's bigger than the no. SEC or the Big 10. Let's not get dumb. I'm talking specific to growth. The Big 12 is clearly selling that. And if you're selling growth to a growing medium, I think that there's a plenty to be said for that play. Well, and they can be in four different time zones, potentially, depending on how things shake out. Mm -hmm. I mean, people forget BYU. That's what BYU's role is going to be in this. They're going to be a lot of that late night games. If they don't get Pac-12 teams, BYU will probably get a lot of those slots uh, from that standpoint, from a football standpoint. And we cannot forget basketball. ESPN values that Big 12 property of men's basketball. Big Monday, all of that. You know, they're, Big 12, those, even they were talking, they're going to still do the Big 12 versus the SEC challenge and things well, like they, that. Well, they, they also know that even the Big 12 right now, as it stands, yeah, basically, probably the best conference in the country. In basketball, absolutely. So there's a big factor that helps in the revenue that the Pac-12 cannot compete with in others. Right. 
So, yeah. but here's here's one more question I want to ask you guys: If if Eric's game day prophecy does tend to happen, yeah, how awkward would it be if Commissioner Resco and Commissioner Yormack both attend? <laughs> I don't think that would happen. It won't. <laughs> I, I don't. Th- I don't know. <laughs> I have a feeling Mike might be in New Orleans for the uh, Memphis the Tulane game. Maybe that's where. Or maybe Tulane yeah. UCF down the road, which could also be a game day possibility. If you don't believe they'll come into Orlando, maybe they go to New Orleans for Tulane and a little UCF. It was like they say on November twelfth. Mm. Yeah. Kyle and Bourbon Street. I could see it now. Oh, it's God. already happened. What are you talking about? I was. Okay. Well, I, was... I haven't witnessed it. Uh, well, maybe not. <laughs> that, exp- that, ex- that explains the uh, the facial hair. That's what it is. That's well, what it I'll, I'll say this: like you guys mentioned, two A playing in the Superdome by way of being a marching night. I performed in the Superdome when That's UCF right. went to Tulane in two thousand. That's when I was there. Right. Sure. That one where Alex Haynes broke ahead of Boston. The Alex Haynes half. game. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. We won't get into the in-laws and all that. They're there too. So I have to behave out there now. I'm just saying. Kyle is the SOTG for the student of the game on Twitter. Make sure you follow him. We're all going to be watching the game from on TV as UCF takes on ECU. Uh, and Eric, as we wrap this up, up this preview segment, uh, who's calling the game, by the way? John Schriffen and our good friend Rini Angolia will be. Oh, that's right. Rini's going to be ESPN. Oh, and a, and a quick little series note for you. All right. We know... That UCF and ECU, ECU is UCF's most frequent opponent in school history, regardless of level. All right, G, Georgia Southern used to be up there, but it, it, UCF and ECU have played each other uh, more than any other team that UCF has played. Series right now, tied at 10. And UCF has won six in a row and eight of the last nine. So that's... You know they, they've they've cut the deficit, and now there's a chance that on the way out the door, I mean, we don't know if these two teams are ever going to play again. But if they do, UCF gets the dub here at the Boneyard. UCF ends that series on top. Thanks for shouting that out, Jeff. That's one of several points I make in my preview for the game on the Black and Gold Banneret dot com. Bingy. Yes. Uh, ECU won, by the way, uh, eight of the first. Uh, nine and nine of the first 11. So, but could all be, you know, we're, we are, we are taking care of some, some additional business in our last year in the American. I love it. All right. Stick around. We get back. Andrew Glukov joins us. Stat boy drew on Twitter. He's going to talk about, we're going to talk about UCF's mid season breakdown where what are his letter grades as UCF is five and one on the year getting ready for the meaty part of the schedule what are Drew's grades as we head into the second half the most important half of the schedule stick around we'll be right back this is the black and gold banneret podcast all right welcome back to the black and gold banneret podcast Jeff Sharon with you and joining me now stat boy Drew himself Andrew Glukov the uh, master of the non sequitur <laughs> is in the house with us, among his many other nicknames. Happy belated birthday, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I hit the big 4 0 uh, right after the I end, right after the end of the uh, Temple game. Yeah, you hit it right before you hit it before I did. I got to wait till April. But um, all right, so not to be outdone, Drew is here to give us some perspective. So we are now six games in to UCF football schedule. The Knights stand at 
five and one, knocking on the door of the top 25. Interestingly enough, both Cincinnati and Tulane are in the top 25. Um, but UCF uh, is not, and we can talk about that Louisville game as it is. But that's the only blemish on on the season to this point. And uh, Andrew, I wanted to get like basically your midseason grades so far for this team. Um, first, a little bit of context as we look at um, at the offensive and defensive rankings. UCF right now, fifth in the country in total offense, fourth in the country in rushing offense, 261 yards a game, but averaging over 525 a game. Uh, 49, still top 50 in passing, 264, uh, and 29th in pass efficiency 13th in scoring offense 41 points a game total defense is 26th rushing defense is 41st pass yards allowed 44th pass efficiency defense which i think is a better metric is ninth uh and scoring defense right now eighth best in the country giving up only 14.3 points per game that said we haven't quite hit the meaty part of the conference schedule yet we're about to do that i think starting this week with ECU, but but let's talk about overall your overall letter grade on the season so far after six games. Uh, I'd say B plus. Uh, you know, th- this is a team still with flaws. Uh, they haven't really, you know, the best team they played is a three and three SMU team that can't figure themselves out. Uh, you know, outside of that, they they haven't played anybody. Uh, a lot of people were saying, oh, UCF has to be ranked. They beat, you know, they scored 70 points. Oh, you're one of those guys. Week. You ain't played nobody. <laughs> it's true. I, Temple's terrible. Uh, they're, they're a bad Temple's team. Bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, you're supposed to light up those bad teams, but you also have, you know, Georgia Tech uh, pre, you know, changing coaching staff. So this was a bad team and they should have run them over and they didn't. Uh, even Florida Atlantic, where they they had the second half that was basically perfect, uh, the first half very much far from it. So I mean, this is still a team still figuring themselves out, still getting that identity in place. And remember, UCF was losing to Temple in the first quarter, you know, in the in the first half before going on a fifty-six nothing scoring spree in the second half. Yeah, well, so let's kinda, not get too let let's not get too up on ourselves, you know, fifty six consecutive points. But, yeah, yeah, well, I mean, it's like the opposite <laughs> of of what we used to see uh, during the the Josh Heifel days, where you know, you know, hi, I'm first half Randy Shannon. Hi, I'm second half Randy Shannon, and oh, and you know, God. you have that whole thing. But I uh, the 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 notoriety and and the publicity and the, and the, you know, people are taking notice. Remember, UCF didn't have any votes in the AP poll last week. Now they're just on the they're they're on the outside knocking in on the top twenty-five. People were noticing. Yeah, you know, was the viewership good during that game against Temple? No, it was actually pretty bad. But it was a blowout. I mean, who's gonna? If you're not a fan of UCF, are you really gonna watch a game that's just that one side? Probably not. Uh, that's not a dig there on. Were, there were on, a lot of options on television. Yeah, that I mean, you had, and, uh, you, you yeah. had NFL, you had baseball. I mean, you had all sorts of stuff going on, a lot of potential distractions. Uh, but the people that needed to see the game got a chance to see it because it was the only college football game in town outside of FS1. And, and does anyone really tune into FS1? Uh, not that much. Now, somebody so, was to watch that Baylor, was it Baylor, Kansas State? It was Baylor, West Virginia. Baylor, Baylor, West Virginia. That's right. Uh, so, but 
but you know their their numbers their viewership numbers are never as high as espn you know right yeah it's always so i mean UCF had had the benefit of, of being, you know, the primary college football game on and, and people got to see it. You know, SIDs got to see what was going on. Uh, writers got to see what's going on. And the voting is starting to reflect that. Now, UCF has a opportunity as they go into the second half of the season to, to start playing teams with winning records. Uh, East Carolina, four and three this weekend. You have Cincinnati, five and one. Uh, you have Tulane down the road. You know, six and one Memphis uh, is, you know, is always uh, a team that that is is moving. And and the the one that's kind of surprising, uh, you know, because they have two conference wins is Navy, who's actually in the top six in the conference standings, if you believe that. Yeah. So uh, I want to go unit by unit and and get your takes first. And obviously, the first one, and I, and and again, we'll do it letter grades. First unit, obviously, the offense. Now, um, I imagine that their grade, if we had a graph of their grade over time, it would have steadily gone upward to where it is now. But what's your grade on the offense so far through the first half of the season? Well, my graph would have been kind of going back and forth. Uh, kind of like a, an EKG. Where, <laughs> and then and then kind of spike up you know, this last week, because everything was humming uh, this past game. It's, it's a, it's a different, it's a different kind of cardiac nights is what you're saying. Yeah, a d- definitely different kind Um, more <laughs> of just, you know, irregular. <laughs> if it's an odd game, it's this way. If it's an even game, it's this way. Uh, I, I give it a kind of a, a solid B uh, because it really depends on which week you get, you know, uh, do you get the the one where the receivers can't hold on to the ball? They make key drops. It, it makes uh, the you know the rest of the offense just seem to kind of stagnate a bit. Or do you get the one where uh, everything's just humming and and just working in, in 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 concert with each other? So I think that lack of consistency. And I wrote it in in the roundtable going into the Temple game. Give me one complete game. Okay, give me two. <laughs> so uh, you know. You had to get that one in the books, but now we need consistency. Give me a second one. So, you know, you want to win me over. I need to see a little more consistency out of this offense because we seem to get a, a Jekyll and Hyde effect going on. How can you be Jekyll and Hyde and be top five in the country? When they're good, they're real good. When they're bad, they're bad. <laughs> All right. Uh, it, it, it's, I mean, you put over 700 yards of offense, that's going to spike up your numbers. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a little, it's a little unfair. And again, I mean, even that by, you know, I, I think a lot of fans could look at the Temple game, for example, and say, you know, wow, we blow them out, but we should have blown them out. But we blew them out by a lot more than one would expect a conference team to blow out another conference team. And yeah, I know, it's okay, one Temple's of the highest... bad, but, you know, Temple's also not, they're not, you know, New Mexico State either. Well, I mean, not not many are New Mexico State. That that's a whole nother level of futility. I'm just saying. You know, uh, I don't know I who mean, the worst team in FCS is, but they're not that. No, but they're they're definitely uh, up there for being down there. What uh, if I told you they're not in last place in the conference? Oh, they're not. Uh, the, those guys out west are, or in case <laughs> in my in, for me, those guys up north are. <laughs> in fact, they're not even second to last. Uh well. It all depends on, on how you look at it. Uh, they're actually tied for second to last. Fair point. 
but they got the tiebreaker somehow. So uh, <laughs> let, let me move over to the defense. Um, I think I know where you're going to go here, but what's your grade on the defense? Uh, I've got an A minus on this one. And A minus. A minus. Uh, there are, there, they have a bend but don't break mentality, uh, which is, which is really good. You know, look at what they did to Georgia Tech. They Something gave that up, we're familiar with over the last few years. Yeah. They gave up massive amount of yards against Georgia Tech. However, Georgia Tech couldn't get the ball and when they got into the red zone. There's value in that. However, you're giving up a lot of yards. You know, eventually mm-hmm. something's going to give. Remember, when Temple got in the red zone, they scored every time. So they were 100%. Uh, you know, Temple was 100% against UCF's defense when they got to the red zone. So, I mean, there's a little, little you know, back and forth on that too. You know, give up a lot of yards or, you know, versus the, the red zone efficiency. Uh, the fact that Georgia Tech went 0 for 5 in the red zone against UCF is one of the reasons why UCF is so high in the rankings for red zone defense. But I think that masks the fact they gave up so many yards against Georgia Tech that, you know, they really shouldn't. Uh, early in, in Florida Atlantic, they, they, had, they, they had some mechanical issues on the technique of, uh, of the technique of tackling. You know, there was a number of missed tackles in that first quarter. Then they tightened up and really and really got solid. So that's why I give them an A minus. Uh, we we know what they can do and what they should do, but we see blips of times when they don't do what they're supposed to do. Uh, special teams, which you know has had, which I think has had some better moments um, this year. Uh, you know, as of right now, in, you know, middle of the pack in terms of uh, allowing returns. Net punting, not all that great, but there have been some switches in the midstream here in the kicking game. Uh, your evaluation of special teams so far? I got to put an asterisk on this one. This is be- before the change, after the change. Before the change, I give him like a C. After the change, I give him a solid A. Uh, you know, after they made the personnel change, uh, Mitch McCarthy at punting, Colt Boomer at place kicking, this is a very different special teams. Uh, the defense has been pretty solid. The return game has actually improved a little bit. We got we saw a really nice return last week. I was a 51-yard return at one point, uh, which I think is a season long. And and the, the both the kicking and the punting game has been spot on. I love what was done against SMU by by Malzahn and and the staff, where they used situational punting. Mitch McCarthy when they needed the leg. Andrew Osteen came in when they needed precision, and it, and yeah, it he dropped a couple. He, he dropped a couple a couple bloops down there inside the five. He played that was mm-hmm. that was a great performance by him. So right. I I think if you if you draw a line when they made the personnel change before, eh, after that, I mean you can't really do much better than what they've done. Okay. Elo has uh, popped in to join us here as well. So all right, so. Uh, Drew, your offensive grades again, or your grades overall, A minus overall, uh, offense, you said a solid B defense, a minus, I think you said mm-hmm. special teams kind of, uh, I don't want to say an I, cause that has a negative connotation to it. I'm going, I'm going to take it from the personnel change forward because okay. that's, what's going on now. All right. Uh, let I basically, it's almost like it's two different teams. So I'm going to take that C rating for the pre-change and let's just kind of drop that as freshman forgiveness. And right. going forward, it's it's a solid A going forward. 
So let's let me I want to get both of you guys in on this one. Um, the job that the coaching staff has done. This will be our last individual unit letter grade. Um, you know, I think that you know Gus is the master of the adjustment, and he has adjusted on the fly, I think, pretty doggone well. What would you give Gus and his staff, important to, important to mention, in total in terms of a letter grade so far this year? Uh, I would give it also an A-, minus, and the reason why is how much they struggled in adjusting against Louisville. Uh, the offensive line you know, was, was getting crashed, and especially uh, in, the, in the middle of the line. And and the adjustments just weren't there for that, and they they just could not. They had some, they had some injuries around. in that game late, though. I, I think they did. also they, contributed. They did. Uh, there was you know Louisville just plays a very physical game, but again, you know, we we can you know that's part of the game, yeah, and and that's part of the adjustment process that coaches have to deal with is how do we adjust for the fact that a guy's dinged up, knocked out of the game? How do we make it work? Yeah. And and they couldn't. And, and that's, that's obviously it's the only blemish on UCF's record. It was a game that should have been won. Uh, I don't believe Louisville. Two chances won. down there, down there in the, in the, in the red zone, right? In the yeah, second Louisville half. did not win that game. UCF lost that game. I think they defeated themselves more than anything else. Uh, I think they, they eventually at the end got a little desperate and you, you know, much like we saw with SMU against UCF where there was just some, some, this questionable decision making, especially you know, in the field of play. I think the same thing happened against Louisville, where it was just some questionable stuff got got rushed, got panicked a little bit, and that's where he goes away from being an A team uh, on the coaching staff to an A minus. Because you look at what was done against FAU, against Temple, against SMU, the adjustments that were made from the first half, which were a lot closer. And then the second half where it was foot on the throat, just absolute domination uh, shows where the team can become. It's, it's almost like, like, you know, Floyd Mayweather boxing, you know, you know, he, he early on just kind of taking the blows, almost scouting in real time. And then after uh, a certain period of time sees where the weaknesses are, where the opportunities are and then strikes and strikes hard. And, and before you know it, you know, you put on 56 points against uh, Temple. You, you outs your second unit that plays the fourth quarter outscore the entire Temple Owls, the entire game. You know, you, you SMU, other than that last garbage touchdown, I mean, you gave up very little. And, and, and that matters, you know, that offense was supposed to be the, the real deal. Defense shut them down, especially in the second half, absolutely demoralized and gotten in their head. Uh, that goes back to starts with coaching. You've got the coaching that does it initially, the players feed off it, execute the plan, and then you, you generate results. So, so Eric, how do you, how do you feel about the coaching staff going from first half to second half with those adjustments. No, I think you nailed it. I think it was one of the better jobs. I think the staff's done a really good job with this team outside of the second half of the Louisville game, you've, which you've addressed. Uh, you know, 
you can't be, you know, the, I really, the SMU second half was a big turning point. They carried it over to Temple. I think the staff, I think Travis Williams, I've said this on the air, I think he's on track to becoming maybe the best defensive coordinator UCF's had since Gene Chizik back in the independent days. Drew, you remember those days? Oh, I remember those days. <laughs> We're uh, old. <laughs> a little older, a little or, or wiser, maybe. Um, so, look, I think all your grades are dead on with this team i mean if anything i mean maybe you're a little more generous on the offensive end but at the same I'm kind time of looking forward more than anything else maybe looking forward, yeah well here's the thing though the the thing is we're going to learn more now because the schedule gets now we're going to learn more about this thing. this team's finally going to go on a flight they're not going to play inside in the state of florida for the first time and with respect to temple uh Let's be real. If we had English Premier League rules in college football, Temple would have been relegated a long time ago. They wouldn't even be in in FBS football. So um, (laughs) that's my thoughts on that game. But uh, look, the the opportunity is there, Drew. The second half, when you look at how the national picture has gone for the New Year's Six, you know, for all the praise that the Sun Belt, your beloved league, Drew, that you love to pump up the Sun Belt. Belt. Hashtag Fun Belt. Yeah. The I have belt. up all those leagues. I mean, come on, Baction. I mean, I have them all up. Yeah, you know what they've done? They've pretty much uh, thro- it thro- up. <laughs> thrown away their opportunity in New Year's Six like they always do. And so the path is there for the American, whether it's UCF, whether it's Cincinnati, whether it's Tulane. If you're a believer in the green wave, I think one of those three teams, if they win out, is going to easily get that New Year's Six slot. Uh, what, Cotton Bowl we're thinking, Drew? To the yeah, uh, G5, right? The- it would be the combo, but I want to point out something that's that it just yeah. it, it just shows how little the margin of error is for for non-American conferences right now. Coastal Carolina and, and South Alabama are have one loss each. Uh, Coastal Carolina six and one, uh, South Alabama five and one. Uh, I, James Madison, uh, I don't even count James Madison because they're not bowl eligible, which is a totally different conversation for another day. Uh, they can still five. ruin people's seasons though. And they're going to ruin people's seasons because that's how they roll right now. And, and it just shows that how ready they are for FBS football. The fact that you know they they creeped into the top twenty-five. Praise, by the way, compliment the uh, the college the pollsters. I know everybody likes to rip polls. They actually ranked them. Yeah, uh, and deservingly know. so. Deservingly well, so. Rankings I mean, are independent of bowl eligibility. I right, mean. right, right. But I'm saying like you know college football for all the scrutiny, and I understand people may not agree with where teams are ranked and all that. They do a pretty good job of spreading the wealth as far as, uh, you know, teams from different conferences and different, you know, as far as getting them rankings, unlike other sports, which me and Jeff will get into later. But anyway, uh, I, I just wanted to throw that shout out because I thought that was pretty cool that they, well, for them on that moment. But I think it matters um, yeah. with the polling, um, the fact that there's so many pollsters. I think that actually helps because some of them actually follow the game which is well, kind of not a great nice that. concept unlike other sports what yeah, not only that you compare that to the to the the cfp committee you know you're looking at what 63 ap voters versus 13 uh on the cfp committee sure uh so you're spreading you know that you know you're looking for correlation you actually get more correlation when you have that larger voter block so you see more patterns and, and that pattern gets reflected within the standings. Whereas, when well, you know, in the CFP committee, you have very small pockets, you know, that have larger sure. influence. Now, so you're, one, one right. voter in the AP poll does not have nearly as much influence as one person in the CFP committee. Oh, yeah, yeah. They have a lot right, of Right, right. Well, that's a whole different, right, right, right. Now, you were okay. saying, though, that the, 
the what the the leagues that are not in the American have a small window there margin. Or oh yeah, the margin is very small because we talk about Coastal Carolina. They're six and one, and they're essentially out of contention yeah. unless someone falters in the American. You know, correct. That's the USA, thing that, that no right. one's even talking about. South nobody Alabama. talks about them. The Mac. Nobody. I mean, that's the one thing that people have not realized, and I think this will continue. I know that the American perception wise whether you agree with it or not so we i think we've everybody feels this is kind of a down year for the league but yet they're going to get the benefit of the doubt moving forward for various reasons they have a better tv deal than of, of all the teams because they're actually going to be on espn a lot occasionally they're on abc they're perceived to be the better leagues than everybody else so they're always going to get the benefit of the doubt even with the departures that they're going to lose they're still going to get the benefit of the doubts over the sun belts in the max of the world Right, and it's helping the American this uh, going into future years that Tulane is having a good run. Uh, that matters. And props to Bryson Turner for, for, for calling that out in preseason. We all kind of like, really, Tulane? And there we go. You know, they're 6-1 they're and one overall. They're 3-0 and oh in the conference. They're ranked in the top 25. Uh, they have to play Cincinnati and UCF this year. Uh, you know, the, the log jam at the top will eventually clear itself out. And, and, and you know, the fact that all three play each other, it would make, is going to make things very interesting. Mm, yeah. By the way, I took a look, I took the liberty of looking at college poll tracker, which is one of my favorite sites ever, which tracks the AP poll. Yes. Uh, this week, um, only six writers ranked UCF. Ben Portnoy uh, actually ranked UCF the highest at 28. He works for the state in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, Kirk Bowles had uh, UCF at 23 from the Austin American Statesman. Um, two guys had him at 24. Two guys had him at 25. You know who didn't rank UCF? Matt Merchell. Huh. In fairness to Matt Merchell, in defense of him, he he was there for the Louisville game, so I wouldn't vote yeah. for him either. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, I wouldn't. He was there for all the games. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, look, the Louisville game is the reason why they're not ranked, and I understand that. And look, UCF's going to prove themselves here in the next few weeks, whether they should be ranked or not. I think it's a moot point. But I think the question is, I think it's interesting because I think that the Louisville game kind of gets to the real question of what are the polls supposed to reflect? Are they supposed to reflect your overall body of work or where you are in the country right now? Right. Probably a little bit of both. Probably well, a little it, bit of both. Here's right? the problem with the polls. I think it, de- I think it depends on who's voting bias. and how they – like it's, it doesn't – you know, I, th- I think you'll look at different people who view it one of those two ways and it just kind of aggregates all that. Well, and that's why it's so important to have that larger you know, voting pool because then you can find the correlation. So one guy has them in, one guy doesn't. But each one doesn't carry as much power as uh, a smaller voting block, so uh, that's why you have so many so many voters in the poll, so that you know you could spread that out, and then you know base the 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 correlation with, translates to the points, and that's how how you get what you get. But but here here's the other thing: it's the the problem with polls in general is it suffers from recency bias. You know, as they always say, if you were going to lose a game, lose it early in the year, and then work your way back up. Well, you know, only in rare occasions, <laughs> only in rare occasions where like a top team has a very close loss to another top team uh, that already has a lot of goodwill, like an Alabama uh, can can 
can absorb a late season loss and not lose that much ground. However, school like UCF, no, they they don't have that kind of cachet too. But again, in fairness, to in, fa- Drew, in, fa- in fairness, they lost to a bad Louisville team. All right, let's well, not yeah, like it was like, a it, bad it's, loss. It was but a bad. If you're, I mean, th- you know, if you're gonna lose, you're gonna lose to Louisville. You want to lose at the beginning of the year, not Agreed. the end of the year. Right, you're right. gonna have that loss. Correct. Right. If right, I agree with that. So well, Louisville, I mean, let's, let's I want to I want to put this out there for the record too. Louisville's three and three right now, one and three in the ACC. Yeah, they're off. Their losses were at Syracuse to Florida State and at Boston College. Wins at Virginia uh, against South Florida and of course at UCF. So, and two yeah, of those I'm, games, were I'm not say, I'm games. not making the case for them being good. I'm just saying they're not Temple. Well, two of those games were also coin flip games. Uh, Florida State should have won. Boston College, they really should have won. That's a bad yeah. loss for them. There, I mean, uh, they choked that one. Yeah, it was on yeah, the road, was, and they that, choked it. They're going to be looking on the for the road. Coach. To be fair, but still on the road. I mean, fun, funny. We were looking at the. I think that our view of Louisville is kind of tinged by the fact that they got blown out by Syracuse in their first game, and people are like, "What is that?" Well, guess what? Syracuse is undefeated right now. So. Oh, there it is, Syracuse Drew. You knew that Clemson. was going to be plugged in there. You know, you knew that was find a way it was plugging in there. Yeah, Syracuse, Clemson. That that's a, undefeated that, for that the game's... first time since 1987, man. That's, yeah, <laughs> but here's you... the good news for UCF. By the way, regardless of rank, not rank, they kind of if they take care of business the rest of the way, they win out. They're going to be New Year's Six, which is the ultimate goal. And uh, there's nothing in their way except themselves. So, well, well, let me let me let me wrap this segment with this question then. So, and I want to pose it to the two of you. And Eric, I want you to answer this one first. As we look at the rest of the schedule, and five of UCF's next six games are against other uh, are against other teams in the top six of the American: ECU, Cincy, Memphis, Tulane, Navy, and then of course South Florida is bringing up the rear. Three of those five are on three of those five games against this competition are on the road, including this week against ECU. Um, my question is, who let, let's let's say UCF is able to get through this gauntlet, and I, I think it's fair to call it a gauntlet. What is or who is the biggest threat for snagging that G five spot right now? And I should and I should preface this by also saying. Cincinnati's ranked 21st in the AP. Tulane's 25th in the AP. Uh, after that, you got UCF. James Madison, not bowl eligible. South yeah, I don't Alabama. Think, I don't think there's a threat outside the American. This is the Americans to lose, uh, which could happen. Maybe they beat each other up and that that's, opens up th- a door. Th- that's, that's kind of what I was getting at. This is, there's yeah. a possibility that everyone beats each other up, right? Well, at that point, if they beat each other up, then, you know, we it is what it is. But if... if if you see, does the get, survivor get the spot? I think, I guess. Yes, I do. And again, I think that's the... Those are brands, UCF and Cincinnati. If Tulane were to beat, say, a UCF in a Cincinnati, they would get the benefit of the doubt. I think the the gap between the American and, like, say, the Mountain West, the summit, because Boise State's fallen off a cliff. Nobody even talks about them anymore. Nobody even knows what channel they're on or network. Do we even know are they on? Are they, maybe maybe they're maybe they're they're like back in the eighties where like they, they didn't air games. Maybe I don't know. Um, that's kind of how that's what's it like to be on FS two. Uh, so. USA, I mean, Mountain it's, it's a gap. Like, I don't, you know, I think Mike Oresco's been right in that, to me, they're not really a group of five. They're kind of in between the power five and the group of five. They're kind of in the middle there. They don't get the respect of power five, but at the same time, they do get more respect than the group of five. So to me, whether it's UCF, 
especially UCF and Cincinnati, if one of them wins out, nobody's going to touch them for the New Year's Six slot. I should mention, by the way, for our friends from Boise who are listening, uh, that they are four and two. They're lo- both. I wouldn't their losses know. I came on the road uh, at Oregon State and at UTEP. Well, and, that's what uh, happens when you're on FS2. Nobody notices. <laughs> nobody notices when you <laughs> lose. Uh, yeah, Drew. Uh, so I, I'm gonna I'm pivot a little bit on that because you said if if the other schools win out and the American kind of cannibalizes itself. A one-loss Coastal Carolina, I think, will get in over a two-loss American team. Uh, yeah, I, I'd buy that. I'd buy that. Wow. Yeah, if I if 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 they they're not even out, on the radar right now in the polls. Uh, well, I mean, it's because that that loss to ODU just really put a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. They're all uh, Mac, if, baby. Remember, recency yeah. bias. If they keep winning, they'll 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 slink their way back in. Uh, it, it, that that's just it's just oh, the way. It's I think you could say out. a one-loss Sun Belt champion probably does get the nod over a two-loss American Conference champion. Yeah, I, 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 I think that. so. I, I think that. so. But but the American controls their own destiny. Yeah. If they whoever if some if whatever school one of the three wins out, they'll get it, period. Uh, no other no other one-loss team is going to challenge them. So well, your really only candidates right on now in the out. Sun Belt with one loss overall. Uh oh shoot I had it and it went away okay there it is uh your only candidates right now for with one overall loss are Coastal uh like I was mentioned James Madison also has one loss but they're not bowl eligible and South Alabama so by the way it, it is not crazy to think we could have a scenario like 2014 where the G5 champion ends up being a two loss that gets represented in the New Year's Six Bowl remember that was the year where UCF blew their chance by not showing up at UConn. Otherwise, they could have been in that slot. Instead, I believe, uh, who was it that represented? It was from the, I think it was Boise that year. In fact, that was Boise's last trip with two losses, I want to say. Uh, one thing I want to point out, no one gives them really any credence, is U- University of South Alabama. Their only loss was a one-point loss to top-10-ranked UCLA. Well, that's uh, my point. If they if they were to win the Sun Belt with one loss, yeah, I, I would think they would get I, the, yeah. Even though, and, and, you know, I know UCF fans hate hearing the term "quality loss" because of the 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 issues that that dogged 2017 and 2018's quest in the CFP standings. But that's about as quality of a loss in the Sun Belt as you can get. And you know, if if you have only one loss, that's going to matter in the G5 race. Yeah. But not yeah. against a one-loss American champion. Well, no, no, no. It, we well, saw this again. Like here's another example where the American gets the benefit of the doubt. Remember this during the uh, COVID year. You had Cincinnati and Coastal were both undefeated. You could make the argument that Coastal had the better win. Remember they beat BYU and that kind of BYU where they also I think had how many losses that year? Was it one? That was the one loss to Coastal. Yeah. So it was a quality win. You could argue Coastal had better and it resume. it was late in the year, too. It was it was Right, it was late, late year, they rescheduled. You that could was argue the that... game that was scheduled in like 72 hours. Right. Yeah. So you could argue that Coastal had the better resume than Cincinnati that year, but Cincinnati got the nod, uh, partly because uh, I think they had Coastal kind of uh, didn't get to play, I think, the conference championship game against uh, the Cage. Right, right? they did not. But still, but still right. Cincinnati was ahead of Coastal, so they got the benefit of the doubt. So – the American's going to get the benefit of that. I think you're right, Drew. You've nailed it. For somebody else to knock off the American, 
off that New Year's Six slot, they have to have a one game better record than the American. I think if it's all equal, the American champion yeah, gets the better. I mean, even even if you know the champion has, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be like all the teams cannibalize each other so much as the champion has to have at least two losses. I mean, it could end up being worse. Um, but at least two losses by the champion would open the door for that Sunbelt team if they if they run the table. And it, and because uh, USA and CCU are in opposite divisions, they'll, you know, if they if they keep going, they'll they'll meet each other because they don't play in the regular season. Well, we're coming up on the first CFP poll, which will be released Tuesday, November the first. Right after the Cincinnati UCF game. Yeah, how convenient. Good timing. Um, yeah, I, you know, sometimes Winter. I wonder if like that—that's how they sometimes how they determine certain games in the schedule is like let's see what let's see what the CF when the CFP rankings come out, and uh, and they go from there. But uh, yeah, that'll be that'll be what we're looking at because remember it's the top ranked G five conference champion in the CFP poll that gets the bid. So. Um, Playoff notwithstanding, although I don't think I don't see anyone getting into the playoff at least at this at least at this point. But I, you know, but there I think there are a lot of fans out there who you know, especially on social media, are like, oh, we're not getting into the playoff. It doesn't matter. Well, actually, it does matter because you got obviously you got to win the conference, but then you, but then after that, you got to make sure that you're ranked ahead of everybody else. So you know, whether or not that's in the top four, okay, fine, but you still got to stay ahead in the race. So yeah. Like when you look at those polls, when that comes out, you don't really care who's number one, three, five from the, that standpoint, are you the highest ranked G five team? And that's always been, should be always the focus. And then you work yourself into like last year where Cincinnati gotten into the playoff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Control what you can control. Exactly. In the end, you know, aside from the, the, the game itself, your conference, you're in control of where you are. And that, and conference. that's, and that's going to continue with, even with the playoff expanding because the highest ranked G five champion will be in the playoff. There's no guarantee for the second team. Uh, yeah. You know, if you're a second best team in the G five, so. so. Right. And, and, and even in the big 12, you know, teams in the, in power conferences control, what you can control, go in the conference. Yeah. The rest will work itself out. Yep. All right. Drew, we thank you for your insight and your for your letter grades on this. Elo and I will stick around. We'll be talking about what's been going on around the rest of the world of UCF sports, including volleyball in the war on I4. Remember, you can follow Drew at StatBoyDrew on Twitter. All right, when we get back, we talk volleyball, we talk soccer. UCF women's soccer vaulting themselves to the top of the American. With Drew's favorite jerseys, too. Yes. Oh man, those no, Scott's such, back. The new Space U soccer kits are gorgeous. Best Love use it. of care uh, of uh, of the Canaveral blue. I was about to say Carolina blue because they're so similar. Uh, Canaveral blue that I've seen yet with the gradient going down into the Pegasus star. Uh, better than foot the football one this year, in my opinion. Uh, I just think it's uh, just using that that blue more and i know kyle nash is absolutely in love with it uh he agrees with me it is the best space you we've seen yet and there's more to come so who knows it can be uh, outdone by another sport but i i love the fact that ucf's doing these uh doing these for the other sports they deserve it yeah and and it's nice to embrace uh you know that alternate logo everyone should have that one time 
to use it. It's fun. Fans love it. It's great for merchandising. It's a win-win altogether. We'll be talking about that. And more importantly, their performance on the field, which has been excellent of late Eric Lopez in just a little bit. Drew, thanks once again. Uh, stick around. We'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast. We are back here on the Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast. Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you. Let's go around the horn and talk about what's going on around the world of UCF sports. And Eric, I think we got to lead off with women's soccer. Uh, 6-2-4 and four on the season. 4-0-1. Oh, unbeaten in conference. Now that Kristen Scott's back, they have won four in a row. Uh, they won at Tulsa 3-2 to two, uh, on Sunday. Uh, this is after taking Cincinnati to the woodshed four to nothing. Uh, they face EC. They have three, only three games left yeah. in the regular season. All of a sudden uh, ECU Thursday at six. And then at, for our, for their only space uniform game of the season. And then Houston at home on Sunday for senior day before the big showdown with South Florida to close out the regular season next Thursday. But you know, the key has been uh, Kristen Scott since she has come back. Uh, how many goals has she scored, Eric? I think she. I think she's she's got at least four. Is that right? She scored four in their last two wins, and uh, scored five since she's coming back. And she's the difference maker. I mean, they yeah. are a different team. She's now in the top seven all time in goals scored, thirty-two goals, and you know they're on top of the American after that win over Tulsa. You look at their situation. You've got ECU, which is their big Citronaut debut. That's why Bryson's, you know, he's camping out over there. He's camping out getting ready <laughs> for those Citronaut jerseys. That's why he's not with us. But they got ECU at home, Houston at home, and then they go to Tampa against South Florida. Could be the top. It's the top two teams in the league. You could have the conference championship decided in Tampa if both teams take care of business next week in Tampa. That's high stakes. But Scott's provided the scoring. Diana Martin is playing great. Yeah. So, you know, defensively, they're solid. Uh, now it's now that they're healthy, it's trying to make this push. And for that senior class of Scott and Daria Rajayi and, and, you know, CAC, you know, that group, they want a taste of that. They want a taste of that conference championship. That was their goal when they came in as a freshman. They want to end on a conference championship highlight note and get to the NCAA tournament. That's the group for the senior. It starts, though, with it tonight against ECU has been the surprise of the league. Yeah, the game is Thursday night against ECU. So so I want to look at the uh, RPI here, too, real quick, Eric, because you know, obviously, how important that is going forward. Um, you have UCF as the top AAC team at 32. Uh, and I'm scrolling down here trying to see. Yeah, keep uh, scrolling. It's down. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah. Well. Down year for the league. SMU at 76, right? That's yep. the next one. Cincinnati yeah. at 87, Memphis at 93, Tulsa 18. Where is South Florida? In the hundreds. Wait, that's a, really... a shocker to me. Yeah, I, I had I mean... a rough, rough non-conference. A loss to American. They just were a team that struggled in a non-conference, but it's found themselves in conference. And unfortunately for UCF, this is a game that normally would have help your RPI. In this case, it doesn't. That's the worst case scenario, especially if it's your rival. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of a weird year in the American. It's down. It's probably... The way it looks, UCF has the best chances in at large, but it's in their best interest to win at least the regular season or the obviously the um, conference tournament and get the automatic bid because there's no guarantees they would make it as an at large. They, they right. don't have a top 50 win this year. They have a couple of draws. The RPI is good. 32 schedule strength <laughs> is good. Four, 
four draws this year. <laughs> yeah, and you don't know how the committee's going to look at that. And so just keep winning. That's the only thing they can do because the margin for error is very thin. And right now with the, the, the elite being down this year. Well, let's hope they clean up on their way uh, out yeah. to finish out the season here. <laughs> Uh, I want to flip over to uh, men's soccer right now as uh, as they finish up their season right now five and five two and four in the conference. Um, they're they're struggling right now. They that they, they had a shot. It, it felt like after they beat FIU on the ninth three to one. You know, it it it, it looked like there was something getting ready. They they had a shot down the stretch, but then on Friday. At UAB, they give up three goals. They lose three to one in a game that, you know, looking back on it, I know that they want that one back because um, UAB is, uh, it, you know, is near the bottom of the conference in uh, in in men's soccer. But that said, they still have three games left, um, and no one has. It, 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 listen. No one has a better shot than them to potentially win this conference uh, in the tournament than they do. I think they 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 can they can potentially take this thing in the tournament. But you got to get into the conference tournament. That's first. the problem. You got to get in first. Yeah, and and we talked about how crazy the American is right now. Well, they have two of their last three at home. This Friday, they're facing number thirteen ranked Charlotte at home at seven o'clock. That is a huge game. Um, that could potentially erase some of the ground that they lost, but not all of it. Then they go to Tulsa next Friday before they finish up Wednesday the second um, against uh, against South Florida. But where? What is the path right now, Eric? It's it's win the conference tournament or else, basically. Yeah, that's pretty much it. They're not going to get in as an at large. They got to just get into the conference tournament, peak at the right time. And, uh, you know, hopefully you play well and uh, you're left, you're the last team standing there and it's tough, tough league. Is there, I mean, we talked about, you know, obviously the at-large thing, you know, has gone by the wayside and, you know, which stinks. But, you know, when I look at where they are at 90, you know, they're, they're five and five and they're at 91 in the RPI. Let's say that, let's, let, let's get wild here for a second. Let's just speculate recklessly. If they win out, where does that put them? Does that put them somewhere in the 70s, you think, or maybe higher if they get maybe the winning against Charlotte? Maybe 50s, 60s. The problem is, remember, the men's tournament is a 48-team field, not 64. Yeah, that's so right. So your RPI has got to be way better than that to get in. And the problem with this team, Jeff, is, you know, a couple weeks last week we were talking about, man, they turned the corner. They got that top 25 road win at FIU, and they followed that up with losing at UAB. So – you know, they're kind of inconsistent right now. They have two losses against teams 100 or worse in FAU and UAB. So even if they beat Charlotte, then they got to go to South Florida, who just had a draw with FIU. So this league, it's tough to win out in this league, is my yeah. point. And and so, you know, it, it's going to be difficult for them. But again, just they got to get some answers, play more consistently, and you hope you peak in the conference tournament, which they have done historically in the Calabrese era. Yeah. Well, check out your your RPI too, right? I mean, they're playing facing Tulsa uh, coming up. Tulsa's at number eleven in the RPI. Charlotte ranked number thirteenth in the coaches' poll, twenty eight in the RPI. They're eight one and two. Charlotte's been a surprise this year, I think. One of the top top offensive goal scoring yeah. teams in the country, so that's going to be a challenge for UCF defensively. Could be one of the more entertaining games of the year with both of those teams in the firepower. See if Luca Dorado gets back on track. He was kind of held in check by UAB, so. 
hopefully they're with this week in practice. They're checking, you know, fixing some things, cleaning some things up. And before you know it, all that noise disappears. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as we look at the uh, champion, again, they have to be what top six. Is that right? Yeah. Which is not easy so, to get in in the top three conference. Like the American right now is rated the number three strongest conference yeah, in soccer. Yeah, well, well, you got SMU at 12. Remember, it's points in this. In this so you get uh, SMU is top at 12. Tulsa, FIU, Memphis at 10 apiece. So that takes you down to fourth. Fifth is South Florida at nine. Charlotte's at eight, tied with FAU. So, you know, right now FAU's trailing Charlotte because they have one loss. Charlotte has two. Remember, you get three points for a win, one for a draw, none for a loss. So those six, so that six points for UCF is doing a lot of heavy lifting. There's two, so they're two points back of FAU Charlotte at eight. They got to find a way here because it's going to be, you know, if if they want to get into that conference tournament to give themselves a shot. They're going to have to put some. They're, they're going to have to knock off. Well, you're losing the tiebreaker at, at least two. At least two of the three, and maybe get. They, I mean, I'm thinking what? Maybe two wins and a draw. Uh, yeah, probably is what's going to take to get you in. And it probably this Charlotte win is could be big. They need a Charlotte win here because Charlotte's one of the teams that's trying to get into the league. You know, it stinks that you lose the tiebreaker to FAU if you end in a tie with them, points wise. So yeah, I mean, you got to win, get results, and you still got Tulsa. You got to play. I mean. It's not what an easy end situation with Charlotte. Like you could potentially, this is how crazy men's soccer is. You could have Charlotte, who's number thirteen in the country in the coaches poll, twenty eighth in the RPI. There's a non-zero chance they miss the conference tournament. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, that's the world where we're in right now. That's how strong this league is. Uh, wow, it's, it's unpredictable. Well, if only you got extra credit for that. Anyway, uh, so that takes us over to UCF volleyball, who. Uh, took care of business against the South Florida Bulls. Uh, on well, we're recording this on Thursday, October twentieth, so it's last night, Wednesday night. Here's the story for UCF. Uh, you know, got a little wonky there in the second set. Had to go to extra extra points to get it. Twenty six twenty four, but twenty five fourteen, twenty six twenty four, twenty five ten. UCF has now won nineteen in a row against South Florida. They have never lost to South Florida uh, as a, as, since the two schools have been members of the American. Uh, and the last time South Florida, get this, Eric, last time South Florida took a set from UCF was on October 11th, 2019, three years ago. Yep, I believe there's like 23 straight sets since there, yeah. something to that extent, number-wise. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's been the story. And I think Wednesday night's match has kind of been the story of this rivalry where USF played them well in that second set, could have gone either way, but UCF found a way, that championship pedigree, to win a close set, and then USF just couldn't recover from that. That's been the story of this rivalry. UCF has owned it. Todd Dagenet now 20-3 and in the War and I-4 matchup. They'll have one more meeting in November 9th in Tampa. Uh, but look, good balance. Claudia Dillon had a great match. Uh, Abby Hansen, Amber Olson had five blocks, got her yep. 1,000th career dig. McKenna was kind of, by her standards, quiet, although she reached another milestone. Her 2,300th uh, kill of her career was the very first point of the match. 21st use, uh, NCAA volleyball player in Division One history to reach 2,300 kills, by the way. She's currently yep. now 
18th all time. But it was good balance, and UCF took care of business in this homestand. 3-0, they won nine sets to zero. Comfortable back home, took care of Temple, East Carolina, and, and USF. Those are things you can control. Now they go back on the road, a tricky week, because you go to Cincinnati, quick turnaround, you play them on Friday. You don't normally see that, where you play at home, then travel on the road. Usually it's you're at home for both or on the road for both, so it's a little tricky. Uh, and they start this three-match road trip with Cincinnati, then Wichita State, and Tulsa. Yeah. Uh, Cincinnati, interestingly enough, having a really rough year this year. They're 5-13, and 3-5 and five in the conference uh, toward the upper part of the bottom of the conference, if you will. Um, and then, uh, so, but early flight out for UCF. I heard that they had the, that they were up in a flight at 6.30 in the morning. Uh, to get up to uh, Ohio um, on uh, 6.30 in the morning on Thursday to get up to Ohio for that Friday match and then back home and then, you know, for a week. And then they got to go out to Tulsa and then, at, like you said, out to Wichita State um, next week. That That's that's the hard road trip because of how far you're traveling, at least at this point. Uh, Wichita right now at 5-2 in the league, 10-8 and eight overall. Tulsa is... Uh, is kind of struggling too, right around where Cincinnati is at two and five in the conference. But the real situation that UCF needs to look out for right now is in the RPI. The Knights are six and or sixteen and one, eight and one in the conference, eight and zero at home, of course. Um, but with the second half of the conference schedule uh, now underway, or at least about to get underway. Um, when you check the RPI, which is always going to be key, the Knights are at 17 right now. And But Eric, as we've said many times before, we're probably going to see this RPI ranking kind of fade on UCF a little bit because of the mere fact that they're just playing a bunch of teams that are way below them in the standings, except for Houston, who is at 10 right now. Right. Uh, largely, by the way, by virtue of the fact that they beat UCF. Yeah, I mean, Houston's got a good win with the UCF. A win over Mississippi State helps. The thing that's hurting UCF right now, they don't play a team in the top 50. In the top 50 until yeah. Black Friday against Houston. That's what's kill it, hurting them because all these teams are in the hundreds, most of them. Like South Florida was in the 190s. Meanwhile, teams like Florida and the other top teams are playing top 50 games every night. Now, UCF actually got a little help in that Florida was upset by Georgia. On Wednesday night at mm -hmm. home, they were lost in straight sets. So it's funny, Florida's 15, UCF is 17. Now, an interesting new wrinkle this year, Jeff. On a trial basis this year, both women's soccer and volleyball are going to be seeding the top 32 teams, not just the top 16. The way they're going to do it is they're going to do it one through eight for four regions. They're going to do mm -hmm. it. And the theory is this will... You know, a lot of teams complain about being sent to the same place over and over. So in theory, by seeding it now, the top 32, that's going to create some, you know, different regular matchups, which we've been talking about for a long time, right? Yes. If you believe that, I'm still a little skeptical on that. Because, for example, Florida, I just mentioned, is 15. You're telling me that it would be a coincidence if they, let's say, put Florida as a 15 seed and UCF happens to, you know, equal out to be an 18 seed? Oh, wow, what a coincidence. Yeah. They get the bus to Florida. Shocking. Right? <laughs> so, but it's going to be interesting. They're trying it for this year to see how it goes. And the belief is, if it goes well, that baseball and softball will follow suit 
the following year, not this upcoming year, but perhaps everybody in the following year, if everybody likes how it went, they might see the top 32 teams moving forward, which means, you know, you have to see them. You can't base it on geography because in right now, the current format would be unless you're a top 16 seed, usually geography will play a role where you get sent that by doing the top 32, the top two seeds would be based on merit, not necessarily geography air quotes in rink, which means only the threes and the four seeds in theory would be the teams that would be under consideration for that 400 mile radius that uh, would be under consideration. What's your reaction to this? Do you like this change here? I I, I like that idea for the very reasons that you stated, you know, it's, you know, they're trying to eliminate the argument of, you know, that by the way, frankly, UCF has had in the past, right? Oh, you send us to Gainesville all the time. Oh, you send us to or Tallahassee, sometimes Miami, um, you know, all the time, you know, based on the geography, you know, and we've seen actually the last, you know, in particular last season, you remember UCF went out to UCLA. That was a good experience for them. I think that they, uh, you know, even though they, they matched up well with UCLA, probably should have won the match. Um, and that gives you an idea of like, you know, of declustering the tournament, if you will, and evening out the competition, especially in the later rounds. Um, I want to see how that goes. Still, um, you know, right now, here's an interesting point, Eric. Right now, if UCF, uh, if they seeded it based on the RPI only, which they don't, um, they would, UCF would be playing, would be matched up 16-17 with Rice, our old foe from Conference USA, which is... All right, they went on the RPI. The NCAA had a projection last week where they had UCF going to Marquette. Example. Yeah, Marquette's 14 right now yeah. in the RPI. Oh, so, uh, you know, you're kind of, I think you are kind of looking as we head down the stretch, there's going to be some shuffling, but you're kind of looking at like Creighton, Marquette, potentially USC, Rice, Penn State, Kansas, by the way, who UCF beat in Lawrence for what? Is, yeah. is 19th. Yeah. Um, Oregon, Washington, 2021. So that's pretty interesting. Another thing I wanted to look at real quick, you know, by the way, new Big 12. All right. Houston. Or, or it would be the number one, the top RPI new Big Twelve team. Not counting in Texas. You're not counting Texas. Not counting right. Texas. Not counting Texas. Texas is number one in the country. They're fourteen and zero overall. But again, they're going to be doing. No, that. they actually lost to Iowa State. They were upset well, they by Iowa, Iowa State, State Wednesday okay. night. So they were upset. So that Wednesday was late. Night. So that's yeah, late night. Wow, so, uh, they're gonna, big, so they're going to drop. You're going to have Louisville maybe to overtake. Maybe them. could be. Uh, could be a factor there. So. Uh, the thing that's hurting UCF right now, games like Miami, which, you know, last year would have been a top 20, top 15 RPI yeah. game. Miami's in the 48-49 range. That's hurting them. Kansas State, who, you know, I think they were counting on at least being a top 50 win. They're outside the top 50. Things like that is hurting UCF. Obviously, the middle to the bottom of the American is killing them from a schedule strength standpoint. It's good. It's not impossible for them to host, but it's going to be difficult. They're going to need help. They're going to need to win out, honestly, Jeff. I know you know, it, 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 they're going to have to win out because that would include a win against the top 10 Houston, top 15 Houston yeah. team to add to the resume. You hope that Kansas keeps winning. You hope Miami gets on fire and moves up, and maybe you can sneak in as a host over a Florida. Maybe Florida fades a little bit in the SEC among a couple other teams. But, again, with the new format seeding the top 32, they in theory – it should go based on merit, not necessarily geography. So who knows? We'll see. Miami forty nine as of last night. Disappointing. So. 
disappointing. Yeah. That Miami should be better than that. Miami was a top 20 team last year. When you schedule that game, you're counting on that being a top 20 game, and UCF's not getting that right now. And that's that's the flaw with computers, right? You don't like humans' involvement. There's flaws for both sides. Here's a flaw in the computer. And this is my, always my issue with committees and, and, the, and the computers is you're punishing teams for playing games that they can't get out of. Like, UCF cannot get out of playing games in the American. You can't forfeit. You know, you can't cancel those. You have to play them. It wasn't like you picked, you chose to play Temple or East Carolina. I think those are some of the flaws that both the human side and the computers can't, haven't been able to figure out. But, you know, I mean, at the same time, you know, you can only go by whatever data that you have, and that's the data that we have. And you always hope that your conference, you know, holds serve against, you know, in their non-conference. If you guys play well... That should work out for them, but um, alas, we see how that's how this. So we'll see. Hurt. We'll see how they go on the road. By the way, for everybody, and I mentioned, I teased this earlier in our last segment. For everybody that complains about the college football polls and committee, just look at volleyball. Volleyball has set the new oh low gosh. standard of the most incompetent poll in all. Yeah, of this okay. Sport. This we got to talk about real quick yeah, because yeah. UCF loses to Houston in Houston. The following poll. They dropped only one spot to 24th. UCF wins their two matches that week. So does Houston. Houston jumps up to 24. UCF falls out of the top 25. Who is filling out these ballots? Well, some of this, I'm sure, is delayed reaction, delayed voting, as they say. Obviously, many of the voters were impressed by Michigan's incredible one-set win at Wisconsin on Sunday. That was on television because they kept them at 25. God forbid you put a second team in in the American. I, I feel for the American, Jeff, because they deserve to have two teams ranked. They've yeah. never, hard to believe this, the American has never had two teams ranked in the top 25. Which Not even when a, Cincinnati was ranked. You know, right, when was Thompson, winning, right. they should have been, yeah. yeah. They've never the had it. Come. They should have it now, but here's the problem. You have Big Ten biasness going on, and I think this is going to get worse as we move forward because the big 10 is not going to be on espn after this year so the only way they're going to get attention is in the rankings and i think the big 10 coaches in particular i'm going to call them out because i don't give a damn they're going to manipulate these polls right because michigan shouldn't be ranked they got smoked by wisconsin i watched that match it was on espn and that's to me that's going to be a concern here moving forward i think the big 10 not being it because they've already complained about not being on espn with this new tv deal they're gonna they're gonna manipulate that polls and you're gonna see even more Big Ten teams rankings at the expense of teams like UCF and because Houston deserves to be ranked. This is the first yeah. time they've been ranked since '94, but it should not have been at UCF's expense. It, think about this stupid logic: you're rewarding Houston for beating UCF, but you're punishing UCF for losing to Houston. Huh? How does that make any sense? It's a joke. <sighs> All right. Well, on that note. We have officially cleaned up exactly everything that we needed to do here around here. Except my kitchen. It's still being as as Eric you heard is the getting, background. Eric is yeah. getting his kitchen. There was listen, Eric Lopez is multitasking here. Getting, you know, he's supervising the kitchen getting done. You know, it, it's been it, it's it's a wild week, man. We're still we're still all recovering from everything that's been happening. It was a weird environment at the volleyball match last night. UCF won anyway. It was it was crazy. <laughs> but Hopefully we'll get back to normal here. We're 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 slowly but surely getting ourselves back to normal. We got soccer on Thursday night, women's soccer, space game uniforms. That's going to be fun against ECU. 
We've got uh, volleyball and men's soccer. Men's soccer facing number 13 Charlotte at home on Friday. Um, Volleyball is at Cincinnati at 6. Of course, football at ECU on Saturday. We will have night shift for you after that, I'm sure, Eric. Yeah, we're going to have game. I mean, Bryson, Drew, Kyle are going to be on night shift. I'm going to be on, hopefully, college game day watch. If UCF Cincinnati yeah. takes care I'm, of I'm going to see if I can hop in there. Please hop in. Hop in. Enjoying the party. I'm still going to have this noise in the background. I'm going to use this. Actually, <laughs> we're just shredding the AVCA. Working pole. around the clock. That's really the, the uh, it's, it's not really my kitchen. This is we're just shredding the AVCA pole right now. That's how much I think of it there. But yeah, look, the, hopefully, uh, you know, big weekend from that Saturday because we'll know game day probably Saturday night, Sunday morning where they're headed, depending on how the plays out, how everything yeah. plays out. So night shift, we'll maybe uh, break that down. Hopefully, with a win, we'll recap the ECU game regardless. Yep, and of course, women's soccer senior senior day one o'clock Sunday against. Uh, Houston, and oh, by the way, men's golf, Isleworth Collegiate starting Sunday, too. The the Masters of College Golf will be following that in next week's show as well. Make sure you follow us on social media. I'm at Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric's at Eric Lopez Elo. Uh, Andrew is at Stat Boy Drew. Kyle is at the SOTG. And don't forget, it's Bryson Turner as well on Twitter. Uh, underscore DS Warden, the Noah Goldberg on Twitter for our for our two amazing photographers whom we're we're very proud of. Great photo galleries that we got coming up for you that we had a few just recently and a few more coming out. Um, also, don't forget to follow us on social media: Instagram, Black and Gold Banneret, YouTube channel. Make sure you check out BlackandGoldBanneret.com. Subscribe to us, ring that bell so you get the latest on some of, on our latest content, including uh, Night Shift, which goes uh, which goes live right after every UCF football game. Uh, don't forget to follow us, of course, on Twitter, UCF Banneret underscore SBN, and of course, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. Don't forget to subscribe to us. If you don't, if you do, we thank you. Don't forget to leave us a rating wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you once again, one and all, for listening. We've got another busy weekend coming up for UCF Sports. For Eric and the entire crew here at a Black and Gold Banneret, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you for listening. Go Knights, charge on. We will see you Saturday night. <laughs>